Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey. Hi, I'm Evgeny. Hi, I'm Dimitri. It's a pleasure here to have Alon from Serafic to tell us about their solution and the company. Alon, can you please tell us about yourself and the company? Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. My name is Alon Levine. I am the VP of Product Management for Serafic. Serafic is a relatively innovative new company in the area of browser security, striving to change the way we protect our browser and web sessions. Interesting. So tell us what's the name of the offering or the product that addressing the browser security. The product name is Seraphic Web Security. Great. Alon, maybe you guessed, but we are focused about architecture. So we really want to understand the architecture of the solution, how it's actually working, and maybe some of the nuts and bolts about it. Can you tell us about it and maybe share the diagrams as well? Yeah, sure. Actually, I think it would be good if I can take you through a slide. I think that will make it easier for us to go through the architecture. So give me a second. Let me share my screen. As you can see with the Seraphic architecture, we start from a user and their device, their browser. Obviously, every device has a browser today, and we continuously use our browsers for productivity and for personal reasons. All of these, these browsers are actually connecting through internal web applications, public sites, corporate applications, SaaS applications. That's the, our normal day-to-day use. Where Seraphic actually kicks in is one of two options. The first one is a browser extension that injects the browser agent of, to protect um, the session. This can be either achieved from a browser marketplace, any of the browser marketplaces like Google Chrome, like Firefox and so on and so forth, or any private extension marketplace. This extension is communicating with our graphic cloud backend, which is based on AWS. And another option would be to use an inline proxy by Seraphic that will, instead of having an extension, will inject the browser agent into any session that it goes through. So with that, we will protect all different sessions across uh, all different users uh, for internal web applications, again, public sites or corporate applications. Just to complete this, we obviously have our Seraphic Management Console where the Seraphic admin will decide what would be the policies and behaviors in which the Seraphic browser agent will follow and will enforce. Alon, I have a question. For the proxy solution, how would you deploy that? It's really flexible in terms of what we want to do and where we want to put it. It's a really lightweight proxy. The only thing it does is it injects Seraphic into the session. And we can use whatever infrastructure. It could be on-prem. It can be cloud. really depends on what we want to achieve. We want to achieve uh, users coming in from the outside remotely connected to internal applications uh, on-prem or vice versa. We want to protect users from the inside uh, going out to uh, SaaS applications or other websites. So it really depends on what we want to achieve, but we can use whatever architecture and place the proxy wherever we want. It's a simple installation, takes a few minutes for us to set it up. And the only thing we need to make sure is that the user is going through that proxy for that protection. Is that a container or some other technology? Or no, what? it's not a container. It's 
Think of this as a server. It can be a Windows server, for example, or a Linux server that will be used just to inject our protection into the session. And how would you route the traffic there? So, it goes so again, it's essentially, it's a corporate, it could be a corporate policy enforcing users to go there, or we can actually, you know, if we want to look at the other way, right? Not from the inside, inside out, but we want to have remote users connecting in, we'll just have the users use this as their way to connect to the internal applications. So that will actually be the routing for them. Not only be the injection, but will also be the way that they will get in access to the internal applications. So that's a reverse proxy for them. In such that's case. correct. Alon, if I understand correctly, Seraphic has their own cloud infrastructure, correct? That's correct. So yes. using extension or using the proxy, I'm going to the infrastructure where I do the analysis, filtering, or whatever the features you guys have that you'll explain later on. Can you talk about the cloud? Is it a public cloud, private cloud? Is it the multiple locations? Because what we know really well right now is the experience is very important. If I am located in Toronto and you're in Tel Aviv and you tell me your cloud is in Tel Aviv, I'm not going to have a very good user experience if it is an amazing security. Yeah, that's an excellent question. This is a public cloud. We're based currently on AWS. It's co-located, so you can either use our data centers in the US or in Europe. So that's uh, one of the things that obviously is catered to different customers, depending on where they are in the world. Having said that, I assume we'll talk about more about that moving forward, but our logic and everything that we enforce happens locally on the device itself. So we don't uh, transmit data and we don't do the analysis on our cloud backend. It all happens on the client side. And that also relieves a lot of the potential you know, overhead or latency that could have been caused if we had to take all the traffic to our cloud and back. All the decisions happen locally. And also, obviously, this is an opportunity to help with privacy. We don't get to see the data, one of the things that is, our, is most important for users is that their data is not being exposed to third parties. So if we implement DLP policies are going to be implemented and processed also on the client side, which helps us a lot, both on the privacy on the privacy front and also from the efficiency and being scalable and uh, reduced latency. So what's happening in the cloud and what's happening on prem? And maybe you can quickly also mention the features. You mentioned DLP. That's probably other one as well. Yeah, so the cloud basically is where we we communicate with browsers out there, with our browser agents. And the traffic that goes in and out from the browser is mostly around the policies. So think of traffic management console is where the administrator will define the different rules and policies in which the users need to comply with. And then that goes down to all the different browser agents, regardless of if they're deployed by extension or by proxy. And then obviously everything goes back in terms of alerts. So if a user is doing something against corporate policy, so that could be obviously stopped or just being alerted to the administrator. So that goes back to our cloud backend so that the administrator has visibility and can actually take action against those, those things that have just happened on the end user side. So it's mostly policies and alerts that are traversing between the cloud backend and the browsers. The processing itself, again, is on the client side. Okay. So 
I'm not actually browsing to your cloud. I'm just getting configuration from the cloud. When I'm browsing, right. I'm going directly to the website. Gotcha. Makes sense. And I'm not really sure how that's done with the proxy part. Maybe you can explain later. But what are the features you guys provide? Do you do browser security, isolation, DLP, AV? Yeah. So so we look at, at our protection. We actually base this on two different or four different engines. One, two of them are focused on the security side. Two others are focused on what we call governance. The security side is based on a prevention engine and a detection engine, where the prevention engine's focus is preventing exploits, both of known vulnerabilities and unknown vulnerabilities. The way that it is working is based on chaotic manipulation of the JavaScript engine in the browser, whatever browser the user is using. And by performing this chaotic manipulation, what ha actually happens is that the, the execution flow and API invocation of JavaScript becomes unpredictable. And as you probably know, predictability is one of the most important things for attackers when it comes to exploits. So we break this predictability. And by that, we actually prevent, again, known and unknown zero days. These are things that the company has worked a lot on patenting those innovations. So this is one area that one engine that we use for protection. The other one is for detection, which is using real-time based con and also context-based telemetry to prevent any other web-based attacks. That could be um, phishing, that could be cross-site scripting, that could be HTML smuggling, that could be many other uh, web-based attacks. And again, our focus there is to get the, the real context of the user, who, of the browser, who's the user, what he's doing, what's the source that he's currently on and where he's, is he getting uh, other calls from on the browser. So that helps us prevent all other web-based attacks. So that's on the security side. On the governance side, we have a policy engine and a management engine. Both of them are focused on actually making sure that the users are complying with company policy. There are no policy infringements. So that, that is, in other words, that would be DLP. That will be using only authorized extensions and also limiting capabilities of certain extensions only to areas where we need to use those uh, capabilities. Sometimes extensions has have so much capabilities and we need to limit those to make sure we're not exposing our environment uh, to risk. And obviously these two engines are something that we see very different with regards to customers. There are very regulated customers that have very strict policies. Some other customers have less of restrictive policies for DLP. But again, this would control both the data and the user actions. So it could be based on what the user is seeing. We can mask some of the data that he's seeing. We can control the data that he's able to control. But we can also just control the user actions and decide for certain domains that we will not allow the users to print the screen or perform copy or upload and, and basically perform whatever actions, right? It really depends on the policy. Thank you. Alon, I have a question about that. It sounds like you're doing a lot of manipulation, blocking of execution of code inside the browser. What would be the user experience or like, you know, some maybe results of false positives especially when we talking about the world of uh, SPA, single page applications. Yeah, actually it's a good point. And obviously the, it's very common in our world today. And one of the things where we care most about, especially when we come, it comes to browsing, is the end user experience. We think end user experience is extremely important. 
and makes a substantial difference today in actually consuming new products. You know, security comes at expense, but we think that it shouldn't come at the expense of user experience. So first, from an end user perspective, the fact that there is a browser agent of Seraphic in the browser is seamless. Obviously seamless until the user is doing something that he shouldn't do by corporate policy. So he, if he's you know browsing to a site that is restricted by their company policy, then he will obviously see jumping in. But other than that, the user experience is seamless. Actually, we, we're pretty agnostic of where the user is going. If he's going to an internal web-based app, if he's going to a SaaS application, if he's going to just a public site, and whether it's SPA or you know other type of application, it doesn't really matter from our perspective. As again, as long as the user is not doing something that infringes the company policy, or the user will not know that Seraphic browser agent is there. Alon, can you yes. actually show us different capabilities of Seraphic from a security perspective and security controls? Yeah, sure. Let me take you through a quick demonstration, a few seconds, where I can show you some of the capabilities that Seraphic has. Thank you. Let me share my screen quickly. For the purpose of this demonstration, I have gone incognito. The reason for this is I've disabled Seraphic protection in incognito. It's not to say that it's not protecting. It, it can still protect, but just for sake of demonstration, I wanted to demonstrate how this would work without Seraphic, and then I'll show you how that will work with Seraphic protection. I'm also using an older uh, Chrome version. Obviously, I'm not going to use a zero day, but I'm going to use an exploit on an older Chrome version. This is version 93. And as I will browse through this web address, you can see that it popped the calculator, right? So essentially, this would demonstrate how the attacker would get remote code execution capabilities on my device. Again, the browser session went, oh, snap. So there was a status access violation. Doesn't really matter. The thing is that I got exploited, right? And the user won't know about this because there won't be a calculator popping up. There will probably be something happening behind the scenes. And this is obviously something that we want to prevent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the same address here. I'm going to do this from a same browser version but a protected session with Seraphic. So let me just put the same address. I'm going to get into this. And as you, as you can see, we have the Seraphic Web Security Warning and it detected the malicious code. No worries, we got you back. We prevented the exploit and the user can continue on working without worrying that someone has actually exploited their device. One other thing that I'll show you quickly is another type of an attack. Let me quickly go through this, which is a clickjacking attack, but also something that is very common. And we see that across many different social engineering attacks. In this case, we have an invisible iframe. And once we want to click here in Okta and start typing, uh, we're actually typing in the attacker's iframe. And as you can see, we're getting web security alert, and we won't be able to, to perform any action here because we identify click-checking attempts. Very interesting. Nice. Thank you. Good demo. Thank you. Hello. Very impressive. I have a question. Can you mm -hmm. prevent browser to going into incognito mode? 
we can prevent the browser from going into incognito mode, but what we can do is we can enforce Seraphic in all scenarios and that cannot be disabled. Even if you're incognito, you still be protected. Preventing incognito altogether is something that we haven't done. And actually, I don't know, we didn't get this from our customers, so I can't really comment if this is something that we want to do or technically possible, but we're not. it's not something that we're looking to do right now. The important thing from our perspective is that the user won't be able to remove the protection or go bypass the protection through incognito. Got you. All right. Thank you. Although in case of, let's say, false positives, if there is some JavaScript code that hosted on the side that maybe was misclassified, how would it affect user experience? Because theoretically, part of the application will not run. Yeah, so obviously false positive is something that it's it always a risk for security, for security software. And there's no zero false positive as much as we want it to be minimal as possible. And, and same is true for obviously for Seraphic, right? As we want to protect and we want to have, as we, we don't want to miss anything. We risk ourselves in encountering false positives as well. I can tell you that luckily we don't, it's not a common thing that we encounter false positives. Both on the exploit side, it's relatively easy because if you're not doing things that are that need to be very predictable and very deterministic on where you land from a memory management perspective, that won't affect at all. But also from a detection perspective, yes, there could be false positives. If some JavaScript code behaves in a shady way, we might jump and say, hey, you shouldn't do this, or we actually stop this really it also depends. We have some behaviors that will just alert the user if they're doing something that is potentially dangerous. So think about actually sending personal details or whatever company details or sensitive details over HTTP, not HTTPS. We won't prevent this, or at least not by default, but we will definitely tell the user that they need to think twice before sending this data over unencrypted, unencrypted network. On the other hand, we will have scenarios, again, at least by default, that we will prevent because we believe that this would be a phishing attempt or something that is is uh, is real malicious. So the our goal is to make end user experience as seamless as possible, even when there is a false positive, after we try to reduce it as much as possible. And with that, we will actually let the user know what we believe has happened and how to how to address this, right? So obviously what they would need to do is they will need to um, talk with their Seraphic administrator and maybe change the policy to cater to whatever application they're trying to run, which is now encountered with a prevention. But in general, again, our goal is to try to reduce this as much as possible. And when it's likely, and we're not sure, we'll try to only warn and maybe not prevent. But again, there will be scenarios where we'll prevent and the user will have to guide the user on how to make changes into the policy to allow them to do what they need to do with their work. And that's a great answer because, you know, it's uh, very important that user does not stumble with something that's not working. You're actually giving him indication, hey, like there was a false positive potentially. If you want to work around this, that's what you need to do, but you assume the responsibility. Yeah. So that's a really great way to address that. Thank you. Alon, what about single sign-on? If we don't have a way to understand who you are, there's no way to apply the policies. Yeah, so it's actually an excellent question. Uh, SSO is something that we think is very important and is very also very common with most of our customers today. And it actually is useful for us in many ways. First, we integrate with the identity providers of the world, and that actually helps us 
in determining the identity of the users actually right now running running the session. And with that, we can actually make more intelligible policies. We can say, okay, not only the device, but actually if a user from a certain group, because we know that group, because we integrate with Okta or Azure or whatever IDP, we can actually make a determination that a certain user needs to have you know, certain permissions, certain DLP rules, and so on and so forth. So that really helps us in making sure we have the right policy for the right people. And it's not only device-based because devices always change and we were not always sure of you know, which device belongs to which people. So first we do this, we use the IDP for actually making sure we know who we assign the policy to. That's one. And the other thing it really helps us to enforce as well. So in the end of the day, when a user is logging into their SaaS applications, through the IDP, what we actually do is we make sure that they're using a protected session. So we make sure that they're using Seraphic to browse through one of these applications. And then when they do, we make sure that, that all of their traffic to corporate SaaS applications is actually protected and it's secure and the data won't leave the application, at least not data that is sensitive. So we use those, you know, this one single point of access for us for enforcement of protection as well. Alon, is the solution prevent me to even go to Office 65 or Google or Facebook before I authenticate? Or how does it work? Assuming you use IDP for for these applications, Office 65 or whatnot, you will still do the same, right? Then the customer can decide whether on, on their policy, whether they want to enforce seraphic protection. But essentially, our goal is to obviously to protect these sessions. There's a lot of corporate data in these applications, and we want to make sure that these sessions are governed and protected. And this is why usually we recommend on enforcing seraphic protection when logging in through, through these applications. Having said that, there's no mandatory in this, right? If you choose to have specific applications go through directly, you can do that. There's applications that we can we can integrate with the application provider itself, such that we will inject Seraphic through the application and not through the extension or the IDP, will, which will enforce the extension. So that's another option for us, but we don't enforce any change of authentication. What we can do, by the way, is we can perform additional authentication stages for applications which are not using IDPs. So think of legacy applications or internal web applications where you don't have to go through Okta or others. We can enforce our own second factor authentication to make sure that the user that is authenticating is really the user that we believe it is. Alon, I have a question. Like if I'm using your proxy, is it possible to create some rule which says deny all until authenticated and then allow access based on the authenticated profile? Yeah, so so actually this that's a very relevant use case we have with some of our customers that when they log one of the one of the use cases for the proxy is to say um anyone that goes out to the internet goes through the proxy if they're protected with traffic, it's transparent. We don't do any SSL decryption or anything that requires a substantial effort. On the other hand, if it doesn't it actually blocks outside communication. So you can actually decide which way you allow your users to go as long as they're not protected. And if they're protected, that's fine. You can pass through transparently. I see. So it sounds like you have some SWG and zero trust access functionalities in the product. 
Yeah, yeah, and and in one in some of the cases we're actually also replacing SWG for some of our customers. Obviously, there's some overlap and there's some differences as well, but we're seeing customers actually replacing SWG in some of those cases. Very interesting. But let's assume that I do have SWG from another vendor or zero trust access from other vendor. Can your solution work line in line with it? Yeah, for sure. Our architecture doesn't interfere with SWG or with ZTNA or anything like that. You can work. We have customers working with both. And we have customers working just with us, actually. But we're this way. We're in the browser. So we're first in line, right? We see the data before it's being encrypted. And we have our own capabilities of content filtering. So by the time you get to... SWG you might already have our protection take you know take over or do something, but in some cases you know there's defense in in, in layers. So some customers would say, okay, you're in the browser, you have visibility, you have everything that happens in the browser, but I still want my inline capabilities to stay, and I will still use SWG, DTNA, so on and so forth as part of what I'm using over the network. Makes sense, and it's interesting you're shifting left for browser security. That's right. That's right. So in our season, we covered a lot of isolation solutions here as well. And basically, we're talking about, I'm going to some kind of URL. This URL is malicious or actually has a malicious part of it. In your solution, what do you do? Do you have categories? Do you try to protect everything? Like walk me through this part of unknown. Yeah and how we protect it. Yeah, so first we do have categories, but they're mostly used for content filtering. They're not used for our security or governance. What we do for security and governance is we basically look at every site, regardless of that, you know, cnn.com or amazon.com. We look at this as well, you know, same way we would look at a shady site, a gambling site, or someone that was more likely to deliver an exploit to you. From our perspective, we take the more cautious route and we consider every site as a potentially the dangerous one. And all the all of our security capabilities are working by default across all of the applications. And again, obviously, if you can change your policy, right? You can you're the administrator if you want to reduce protection or increase protection, which is almost not necessary because by default you have all the protection in place. But you can do changes to make sure that a certain domain is won't be protected and so on and so forth. But basically, we have all protections across all your sessions. The reason for that is that, in, you know, in contrast to what browser isolation is doing, where there is a change in the end user experience, from our perspective, we don't have to enforce any end user change in the experience. And that is why we allow ourselves to actually protect all sites as if they were, you know, da- potentially dangerous. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about browser security around internal web-based resources. So you can facilitate the zero trust access as a reverse proxy from the outside of the organization to internal resources. That's really nice. How, as you know, probably there is different applications which consider to be legacy that, you know, using Explorer 9, 10, well, 11, which is more advanced, but still they only can run in these specific browsers. Would your solution be able to support 
these type of applications. Yeah, actually, this is one of uh, a great selling point for us. Unfortunately, Internet Explorer is end of life by the time we talk. And there are some organizations that unfortunately still need to use Internet Explorer or other legacy browsers for, for using their legacy applications before they you know move to something more innovative or modern. And due to the fact that our browser agent can also sit on Internet Explorer, and it protects against all those complicated and advanced flats like exploits, which are naturally very common to, to a product which is no longer maintained, like Internet Explorer. This is actually a great entrance point for us for organizations because we allow them to extend the use of Internet Explorer or whatever browser that may be before, before they have to migrate, right? Actually, we had this use case with one of our customers recently where they couldn't keep up with the updates on the browser, on the browser vendor side, because there are many updates or very frequent updates, I should say. And they have to test dozens, if not hundreds of applications in-house before they make any upgrade. Obviously that takes time. So the fact that we are able to have more predictability and control around where they, when they need to upgrade their browser is really helpful for them. And they don't need to run and chase upgrades all the time and do the testing all the time, every time there's a new Google Chrome version. So actually that's a good, that's an excellent point. And I think for us, this is an excellent entry point. So you are mitigating the risk of using older version of the browser that potentially could be exploitable, right? That's right. And unfortunately, I mean, as we're seeing in the last few months, browsers are reporting, almost always reporting on new vulnerabilities being found almost on every version. So I think this is really helpful to be able to kind of bridge this gap and protect companies by the time, until they get everyone to the a modern version. We're not saying don't upgrade. What we're saying is um, you can upgrade, but do this methodically. You can do this when you choose to. You can do this after you test. After you test. Uh, and I think this is really helpful. We're hearing that from multiple customers. I want to go back to usability. Yes. As part of our workflow, we now edit documents on the browser, Office 65, Google, but we also want protection. With your solution, tell me how it's actually working. So you're talking about browser, just making sure I get what you're asking. You're asking about documents in the browser? Yeah. Like if there's any issues to edit documents, are you disturbing the, the editing of the documents in the browser? It's seamless from the end user perspective. So if you just, you know, browse, you do your shopping over Amazon, you go to Office 365, you edit Word documents or Excel spreadsheets or whatever that may be, you'll have the same experience as you're used to. The only difference would be if you are, if you have sensitive data or what is defined sensitive data by your organization that is restricted. And then obviously you'll have to cater to your company policy. So if that doesn't allow you to save the, those files locally, obviously you won't be able to do that. But other than that, that shouldn't be any effect on your end user experience. I have a follow-up question on that. So let's assume that I logged into my personal private Google account and I opened an online doc. Now I'm trying to paste a list of customers with, let's say some sensitive information about these customers into this doc. Would your solution detect that and prevent me from doing that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's all based on the policy that is defined is defined on our console. But essentially, if you define the sensitive information, then yes, the answer is yes. When you go and do whatever upload or download, depending on what you want to achieve, we will run a scan on your content. And if it contains data that is considered to be sensitive over you know, over the threshold that is defined by the policy, we will restrict this or we will alert you about this. Again, depending on the policy. But yeah, the answer is basically yes. By the way, same goes for for OCR. So we can actually scan PDFs as well. So if, you know, if your PDF goes through the browser, we can actually scan this content as well. And this scan has been done in the browser application of yours or you sending it to the server for a scan no so everything happened on our on the client so on the browser itself within the context of a browser agent we don't send anything to our cloud for processing or analysis okay so all the rules set being brought down to the browser and held in the application yes yes I mean, locally nice so alone tell us how your solution Others says bring your own device or as example, accessing content from mobile devices. Would you support it as well? Yeah. If I'm working. Yeah, actually, it's a great question. Again, these days, post pandemic or we're still in it, I don't know. But anyway, a lot of people are working from, you know, from multiple devices, not necessarily from their corporate owned device. And BYOD is obviously something that we see consistently across many different customers. Uh, the answer is, um, yes, we cater for, for BYOD uh, scenarios as well. The way that we do that is actually depending on the scenario on the user. In most cases, BYOD is where uh, users or companies are more reluctant to have additional kind of persistent installations, which would be our extension. Again, the extension is not what is protecting, but it will still be there and it will still persistently uh, protect all the sessions. So that's obviously still an option. It can still happen. We can have those uh, extensions be brought down by sending an email link and have those downloaded. Still completely an option. And there's some that do that. But the others can, can use proxy when they go, as we talked earlier about, about the reverse proxy. So as they traverse in and get to corporate internal corporate applications, they get injection of the seraphic protection. And that obviously without the need of having any additional installation, extension or whatnot. And as they terminate, as they finish their sessions, it's no longer there, right? We only protect the things, the sessions that go through our reverse proxy. And when it is done, we don't have to continue protecting them. They might have their own you know, personal needs and browsing needs. And in those cases, Seraphic won't be there unless that's wanted. And obviously that's an option. On the mobile side, the answer is yes. We can also protect mobile phones. Similarly to what we do with laptops or desktops, as you browse through different applications, we'll have similar protection, again, both from anti-exploit or anti-phishing, and similarly, obviously, for governance and DLP and protecting against malicious extensions and all the other capabilities we have on the desktop. Great. So you mentioned, or you actually mentioned, you said multiple times, you are in a way extension. And you also mentioned that you can help these other extensions. So can you explain what actually you do? You can prevent certain extensions, you can blast extensions, or I guess you're not interfering with the other extensions to install, but walk us through this part. Yeah, so we look at this as kind of, uh, we can manage, we call it management of extension. And that obviously is comprised of 
a couple of different capabilities. First is the ability to actually have just the data. This is the extensions you have across your corporate, right? Who's using what? Who, what's common? What's not common? And then we can actually go through the risks that are or potentially how risky extensions are. We have our own analysis engine for extensions. And based on that, we provide some scoring for extensions. So we help the administrator point out what might be potentially malicious or risky extensions. And obviously, we allow the administrator to also take action based on our information or based on the intelligence that they have from other sources as well. So they can actually uh, block certain extensions or actually blacklist certain extensions so users will not be able to install them moving forward. They can also do this vice versa. They can actually say, I only allow this set of extensions in my corporate. If a user wants something else, that's not possible or they should use you know, their own devices for that. So there's two ways to look into this, opt-in or opt-out, and, and we provide both. And as I said earlier, we do have also the ability to kind of prevent certain capabilities in certain environments. What I mean by this is there's sometimes a, a risk of extensions just overusing browser APIs and capabilities, and they're still needed, right? The company or the person is still requires that extension to work. But what we want to do sometimes is to say, for specific domains, I want this extension to work as it was designed, right? But if I'm, maybe I'm in a corporate application, I might not need all these capabilities because these capabilities might be too much or too risky for me to expose corporate data for this application. And then I can actually also control capabilities for certain applications across where they are or where they're being used. And this brings us to the last question. How the organization can get visibility of reports or any attacks or any risk that were prevented by your technology? We have our Seraphic Management Console and Management Console allows us to actually review everything that happens from an end user perspective. Again, not everything, but everything that is of interest. So all the events that, that are of interest for the administrator, things like attempts of actions that are infringing the company policy will be reported to the administrator's console. Attempts to exploit the browser or to perform phishing attacks or to perform XSS attacks, cross-site scripting, and so on and so forth. HTML smuggling are, will be reported, obviously, to the end user, but also to the administrator. As I said earlier, if we deem there's a risk to the user and the organization, we're going to prevent this. So it's the administrator, the only, usually the, the thing they would have to do is to verify or investigate, but they won't have to remediate because usually there's no harm done. The attack was prevented and that, and it's only on a need no basis mostly. And again, as part of that will be insights, what we call is kind of a summary of everything that's happened across different browsers, different users, so they can actually consume a lot of data in scale, but they can obviously deep dive into whatever specific alert they're interested in and investigate as well. Any questions to us? I think I have a couple of questions to you as well, but maybe you have some questions to ask. No, actually, I, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. I, I love what you guys are doing, and I, I follow all of your episodes across, across four seasons. So no questions on my side, and thanks again. Thank you, Alon, and it was great interviewing you here. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. 
please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.